Welcome to the TPG Family Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything related to healthcare, both in the United States and all over the world. We'll talk about standard practices, policy, innovations, different approaches to common problems, and unique issues faced by specific countries, regions, or populations. I'm Jeff Carlisle, Vice President at the TPG Family of Companies, and with me, as always, is Don Hall, Principal at Delta Sigma. Go ahead, Don. Hello, Jeff. Uh, yes, I'm coming to you from uh, Denver, Colorado. I am a healthcare management consultant with Delta Sigma. Our guest today is Elizabeth Keller coming to us live from Toronto. Uh, Elizabeth is an international health healthcare technology expert. Uh, and what would you like to say about yourself before we get started, Elizabeth? Well, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you. I'm really happy to be here and um, really happy to be talking to your audience again. Um, it's been a, a long two years of uh, COVID, and um, I think we need more uh, conversations than ever. So thank you. My name is uh, Elizabeth Keller, as introduced, uh, and my role uh, in my day job is with Amazon Web Services. However, I do need to be specific. I'm here today as an independent healthcare expert, not representing AWS today. Um, but of course, uh, I volunteer extensively in our industry. Uh, and I am uh, head of delegation for digital standards for ISO internationally as well, as well as uh, a chief advisor in Canada. So happy to be here and, uh, and lend, uh, lend a hand in terms of a collaborative effort on engaged discussion in healthcare. And we're delighted to have you. Uh, let me kick it off by saying that uh, COVID has really been a, a game changer in virtually every way in our life, but uh, in healthcare technology, uh, it's been enormous, hasn't it? It's been incredible, uh, Don. And, and I know everyone has been impacted around the world, not only from a, a work perspective, but from a, a patient perspective as well. So, you know, we this has been such a big game changer, not only in healthcare, but in terms of our, our supply chain uh, and in terms of uh, how we actually manage ourselves in our individual lives and our, and our health. Um, so this is um, for definite game changer in terms of digital health. It was unfortunately the burning platform that we needed. So all of a sudden overnight, many of us were thrust into roles of actually having to help our healthcare providers uh, move into virtual care overnight, um, find new ways of doing things. Um, so it, it was uh, very much a big uh, move. In my own role, in my past role, I was working with the doctors in Ontario. We had 40,000 doctors that literally at, at March 13th, uh, 20, I guess, 2020, um, we, uh, we had to overnight get them on virtual care solutions. And they didn't know, necessarily know how to use these. Um, and it was a big change and a different way of doing care. And in fact, even since then, I mean, we had a height of 2021, we had 60% of Canadians, 60 to 80% of Canadians accessing virtual care. Um, now it's dropped down to about 40%, but it has changed the way patients want to access their care. And that's just one example. I mean, we have uh, so many others that I'm looking forward to uh, uh, talking to you about today, but virtual care was clearly something that had to be put in, in first before we did anything else. Secondarily was all the vaccine management systems, which I'm happy to talk to you about in a moment. Great. Great. Yeah, fantastic. You know, it's, it's funny talking about um, being thrust into uh, utilizing this uh, virtual care system. Um, as a person who uses healthcare, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not in the, the delivery side at all. Um, I guess I, I feel like it became, it felt more accessible to me. I didn't person personally use, you know, or access the healthcare system on my own behalf any uh, any more during COVID, but it felt more accessible because you could do telehealth. It wasn't getting in the car and going to, you know, an appointment and waiting in a waiting room and all of that. Um, I really don't know the data on on was that true? Did did the healthcare system, you know, as it became more accessible, um, dealing with COVID and and the the side effects of that aside, was general care increased simply because access seemed to be easier? Well, I would actually say, unfortunately, it was the opposite. So mm -hmm. what happened was because we were so focused on COVID response and, and vaccinations and dealing with uh, keeping people alive in hospitals, and, and that created such a tremendous pressure on our healthcare system. I mean, I'm speaking for Canada, but I know this was the case worldwide. 
Um, really, it was just about COVID response. And a lot of the other things, um, unfortunately, fell to the wayside. Surgeries were delayed. I don't think we even know the clear impact, the complete impact that this will have on people's health in the long term. Uh, I know we're looking at it right now, but clearly there's going to be a large impact in terms of, I mean, we even know from an obesity rate, um, the, the world gained about 10 pounds sure. um, each, and uh, that has impact, um, but also delayed surgeries and cancer um, and another thing. So unfortunately, there was uh, definitely a, a resulting impact from that perspective, but there was also good things that happened. I mean, everybody probably remembers um, you know, the, the massive amount of effort that went into those vaccinations and the lives that were saved because of that um, is insurmountable. So, you know, I, get, I can find examples like I know uh, Amazon Web Services supported India in one day um, with, you know, 25 million vaccinations uh, in a day. I mean, that type wow. of scale. Um, also, I mean, you might have images of the consumer sitting in their car while somebody was actually giving them a dose in their mm -hmm. arm. I mean, who would have thought that was possible? And, yeah. and you yeah. might want to ask yourself the question, why weren't we doing that before and making it more convenient for people to get shots? So this is going to now change the way we are all thinking about how we access healthcare. Moreover, it, may, it might not be just your normal doctor that you're confident in, and you still have that relationship with, but I think most people are now thinking and understanding that you can get your care in a lot more different settings. And that's going to, I think, be a good thing. That's going to start to open things up for options. Yeah, Do you have any seeing, sorry, go ahead, yeah. Don. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, we're seeing that in the U.S. Uh, the number of health plans have dabbled with, uh, you know, creating virtual health care and, and uh, sort of touched on it. But it really got a, a jump start because of COVID. And I think your point about, you know, what was the downside of not getting care? That's going to, my background is epidemiology. It's going to be interesting to see long-term, you know, what, what comes out of this. Obviously we're seeing a lot more behavioral health issues that are, uh, you know, manifested because of people feeling trapped, people not knowing what's going on. Uh, the number of cancers that couldn't be diagnosed early uh, heart disease, the number of surgeries. So it'll be an interesting uh, uh, to see as this pans out, you know, what those kind of impacts were. But certainly from a, a technology standpoint, it was a it was a shot in an arm, the arm, no, no pun intended. Um, so what are some of the issues that come up now that we've moved to a much bigger uh, technology platform worldwide? What are some of the issues that come with that? Well, uh, what I've noticed in terms of trends, clearly um, you have a much more engaged population around public policy and health. Um, and that to me is really interesting because I, I think now uh, most people have a personal opinion on uh, what they want to go into their bodies, uh, how they want that to be managed by their governments um, and what role they play in all of this. So I, I think you're gonna, in a good way, I think you're gonna see a more active consumer. I hope that that stays. I think that you know most patients needed to get more involved in their healthcare and needed to ask more questions. And I think that's a healthy thing in our society. Um, and so I think that's gonna be one thing. Public policy, regulation and standards are gonna start to increase. So you're gonna see a much higher bar um, for, you know, we, well, during COVID, you know, we did what we needed to do. You know, there wasn't a lot of procurements. Uh, we leveraged whatever solutions we could that were out there already um, to help us through. But moving forward, I think you're going to start to see, you know, the need for us to actually ensure that a lot of these systems have meet higher standards, uh, both of safety, but also privacy and security. Um, so those are going to be things you're going to start to see more of. Um, cybersecurity is going to become much more of a big platform worldwide uh, because cybersecurity is no longer just the job of IT folks uh, in the basement of a hospital. Um, now it's everybody's job because when, when your hospital gets attacked, uh, guess what? All of your patient care stops and that affects patient safety. So it's not just an IT issue anymore. It's really a need to get um, folks involved in terms of understanding how to protect themselves and ensure their employees know what they're doing in a healthcare context. So that's gonna be one big one. Another one is just talent. I mean, the whole healthcare system is just short on talent. And we see that across the board. 
I mean, not only from private sector, not only is it hard for private sector to attract that talent, um, just because there's just not a lot of volume and, and trained people coming out of schools, um, but the public sector, our public sector government clients, you know, are really, really needing that talent to actually develop the systems to um, ensure that patient care. So, um, you know, I think what we need to focus on, and you're going to see a lot of themes this year at conferences, I'm sure, is um, how are we going to feed that feeder, you know, in the universities? And how are we going to actually start to get more people involved in terms of healthcare technology? Um, because now it's a big business. You have uh, you have all of our vendors. Uh, it was once a, a very niche market space. Now healthcare and digital health in particular uh, is clearly pivotal in terms of how care is provided. Doctors no longer are questioning whether they have to use a computer when they do their job. They, they, that's part of what they do. So mm -hmm. it is now big business with big vendors rolling in high standards um, and I think uh, lots of hope, I think, and, um, and, and promise in terms of interoperability and exchanging that patient information and getting a much more bigger push towards open records. And that we can talk about that in a moment. For sure. I, I wanted to, to um, ask you a question. We talked about having, you know, an increasingly active uh, consumer base. I think that's largely looked at as being a, a positive thing, right? You want people engaged in general, but you want them engaged in their own care, um, talking about what they want, how they want it, that sort of thing. Um, I have to think about too, just kind of, you know, being aware of of social media and, and all of the conversations about, you know, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Is this the truth? Is this yeah. not? As, yeah. as the internet kind of became widely available, you had more and more patients, I would imagine, going to their doctors saying, I Googled this, I have nine cancers. And the doctor's like, well, hang on, don't do yeah. your medical diagnoses yourself. Um, so as people become more engaged, I wonder how much additional noise is being created for these doctors where it's like, cool, I have, you know, 50% more of my patients communicating with me, but they're all coming at me with weird stuff. That's like, you know, because you have this whole other thing to manage now. Um, I would like to think that the balance is largely on the positive side, that more engagement is better, even if there's some noise with it. But, you know, from your perspective, is that, is that, you know, is that the way that it's balanced? Is it primarily looked at as being a good thing or is doctors like, you know what, I'd, I'd rather wish they didn't talk to me as much? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think doctors love it when their patients talk to them, that's for sure. Um, but I have heard that uh, it does become a, a busy space. Um, you know, usually those that are asking lots of questions or, or, or pointing to their watch and saying, you know, would you mind looking at my, uh, all my data from my runs over the last month? Because I've noticed my heart rate is, is, you know, it's going up every time I run. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, a trend and uh, the sheer amount of data is just unmanageable. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is where technologists and, and big companies can help with tools and decision-making tools uh, to make doctors' lives easier. And this is where I think we're at that pivotal point of pain where, you know, we've had, I'll, I'll say it, we've had poor user design in, in digital health. And it's been on the provider's backs largely as we've experimented towards a new dawn, I think, of, of digital healthcare. And so there was some very painful learning moments, I think, through those first, that first 10 years, 10, 15 years now. Um, and now I think we're reaching, I can see we're reaching a point where user experience is now a big focus um, and a better understanding of workflow. So to answer your question, I think giving doctors better tools and decision-making that rely on artificial intelligence um, and other areas is gonna be such a game changer. So that when the patient comes with a question like that, you know, the doctor is just as well informed with AI tools um, to easily diagnose, um, easily provide that kind of feedback, you know, um, provide lists of readings for their patients or provide um, other tools to help them. Moreover, we have, if you can imagine this, some of the neat stuff we're working on, like translation or um, Alexa type technologies where the patient can actually input their own diagnosis. And, and it's actually, you know, quite advanced so that before they even talk to their doctor, they have, they can, they can work through some of those questions on their own and maybe reduce some or some of their anxiety. 
um, and give them some ideas about what they might be facing with a stomach ache, potentially. Um, you know, these are things that can really help both the patient and the provider. And it's, it's, uh, it's really exciting. The language issue is huge here from a barrier perspective. So mm. um, translation in, in uh, digital health has really been something that I think has been um, tackled now with a lot of tools that automatically translate from other languages. So if you've got a family member that doesn't speak uh, the native language of the provider, then you can you can actually have a dialogue and, and you can you can remove those barriers. So that and there's so many tools like that that I think are very exciting in digital health. Yeah, that, that makes total sense to me. And, and I like kind of what you described, um, providing resources to field some of those potentially silly questions that you would get from, you know, Googling my symptoms. So instead of you know, setting up your doctors to deal with potentially frustrating, you know, conversations. I have a hangnail. I looked it up. I have cancer. Well, I, I don't really want to feel that question, but if you can create something that kind of weeds that out ahead of time, knowing that it's happening, that just, that's, that's very sensical to me. That makes sense. Let me build on that though, with a question. I don't know if you can answer this, but as, as technology and the, the ability to communicate becomes uh, ubiquitous where we can instantly get information out. Uh, what we've seen in the U.S. is uh, idiot, idiotic voices are the same as scientific voices. Uh, I mean, as we've gone through COVID, we've had a number of people who've, you know, said the, the vaccine doesn't work. It's putting stuff inside you that Bill Gates can track, you know, on and on and on. Uh, how, and with Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, where the consensus is that he's going to give each voice uh, the same opportunity to get out, whether it's right or not. What do you see coming from technology? I mean, there, there can't be police, but how, how do you turn some of these tools into tools that are really credible uh, in the vast majority? And now you're going to always have your idiot faction, but we have a huge segment of our population that seems to believe things that there is zero scientific basis for. And so how does technology, does it make that worse or how can it improve that? And, and that, I mean, as you look at the world, what is, what is the rest of the world doing about that? Well, that's a huge question. Social media itself is, is clearly um, can be manipulated as we've all seen. And I think, again, it's in how we're actually designing our social media um, and making sure that people are being well informed is really, really important. Um, like you said, I think for my perspective is always um, debate is very, very important in this society. And I think that even though it's uncomfortable a lot of the time, um, I think sometimes these need to be aired so that you can have effective responses, especially from a public health perspective. And I think we learned a lot about the polarization of views um, in social media over the last uh, two years. And in fact, I think everybody has probably become a little bit more sensitive or at least increased their uh, emotional intelligence probably by a hundredfold, no matter what, um, you know, because of our own unique experiences that we've had. So, you know, there's a lot more patience, I think, for dialogue. And I think we're going to need that because um, I don't think polarization or extreme views either for science or against science um, are going to help anybody. And so in medicine and in technology, often it's the fear of the unknown, right? And so any change transformation leader is going to acknowledge that that's always our big blocker. And in my business, I've always been a change leader and, and there's always going to be those voices. So the question is, how do we work with them and truly listen? Um, and I, I think this is, it's, I think it's more patience than less. And, and if anything, I think it gives me hope and the situation in Ukraine, um, you know, showed that we were very able to rally around uh, helping others quickly um, because of what we learned during COVID, good or bad. And, you know, those are skills as humans that we will continue to apply. And I think in this case, there will be another pandemic. We're going to have to truly focus on public policy that works for all. And I think in that, there are also big questions, Don, on privacy. I mean, where I see a lot of the new, the new technologies going, and this I'm bringing us back to technology again, 
you know, when you look at the world of IoT and devices that are everywhere watching your face and, and you know, watching your every move, this is where public policy once again comes into play. And we need to have good dialogue about where we use and how we use our information and giving consent to the use of that information. I think that's only fair as citizens of, of the globe. For sure. And, and I, I think as you talk about, um, you know, privacy and, and protecting information that that brings us very nicely into the idea of, of a threat to that, right? Um, you know, outside of the, you know, whatever legislative avenues come with with developing, you know, the protections, uh, there are people who are going to exploit that and um, try to profit from it. And I know um, that there were uh, cybersecurity threats uh, in, in Ireland and in, um, in Canada and in, in Newfoundland, Newfoundland, right? Both in, in 2021, um, I'd love to just, you know, hear some information from you about those things, kind of what happened, um, what led to it and, and what comes after something like that. And then how do we deal with, with those kinds of things going forward? Absolutely. So, um, you know, this is an area I think that, again, uh, we mentioned it before and in, um, in the beginning of the podcast, but uh, cybersecurity is becoming job number one in, in healthcare IT. And so, uh, all of the major vendors are highly uh, focused on it, including AWS. We, we call it our job zero. And, you know, we, we focused exclusively um, on trying to figure out how we can make uh, those offerings better all the time and according to the highest standards. So in Canada, just to get us back to a Canadian perspective, um, yeah, Newfoundland was hit very hard with a cybersecurity attack that took them down not only for hours, but for days. Um, and uh, that impacts care hugely. Um, again, uh, you know, there's ways that we can try and avoid that. In Canada, the interesting thing that I've, um, I've been watching is the province of Quebec. Mm -hmm. They've actually tackled this cybersecurity issue by um, centralizing all of their cybersecurity resources under a ministry called cybersecurity, um, which, you know, at first sounds a little daunting or 1984-ish, but when you actually listen to the minister talking about why they did that, it was because they lacked the resources, which is what we talked about before. There's not that many resources in healthcare that understand cybersecurity. So by creating a ministry, they could actually create a mandate, a budget, get more people, get more focus on the topic, and actually help more. And I think that model has merit. And it might not be something that lasts forever. Um, the UK is pretty famous for naming ministers of, of different you know, ministries of you know, innovation or whatever it might be of the day um, to help advance a certain cause. And in this case, I'm interested in what Quebec was doing. Um, across Canada, we have uh, um, executive forums that are actually focused on helping the Center for Cybersecurity um, deliver more of their mandate and message. And most importantly, getting rid of the blame and the shame. So, you know, this is kind of embarrassing when you get hit by a cybersecurity attack still. I don't know why, we don't know why. This isn't something you should feel it was your fault, but somehow, somewhere people are feeling like, well, I must've done something wrong. But these, uh, these cyber attacks are very sophisticated um, and, uh, and, and we need to actually get people talking about those examples so that we can actually work on it together and reduce that isolation. So that's what we're doing in Canada. We have executive forums and we're developing toolkits and we're aligning with the Center for Cybersecurity. We're also very much focused on uh, the standards and increasing those uh, uh, tenfold within, um, within Canada. So this is really a, a really big area of focus for us. So thanks for asking, Jeff. Are there other countries that come to mind when you think about that, that are either at the bottom or the top of cybersecurity? Uh, you know what, uh, from what I can see most, I mean, it follows the lines of digital health maturity. So I would say, you know, those uh, countries that are a little bit more advanced in the thinking are, I would say, you know, the same ones that we're familiar with. Um, so Europe and United States and, and others, Canada, that, you know, we've had, we've had to really think through the policy and the privacy aspects first. Um, so we're a little bit ahead of the curve only because we have some of the larger vendors to help us from a capacity perspective. Um, so I would say uh, we have some very good resources there and some, um, some really good thinking. Um, but I wouldn't point any one country out because we're all dealing with this issue. And we all need to make sure that um, we not only it's again, this isn't just about health IT experts, 
where the majority of the, um, the attacks actually get in are, are from your general employees who get hacked with a phishing uh, expedition and they click on a button that they just thought looked like legitimate from their HR department. And the next thing they know they've been hacked. And this is where really a lot of the education needs to take place. And, and I think that's the main message for um, the audience that's listening is educating your employees on how to avoid uh, letting in a, a cybersecurity attack. That's an interesting and scary <laughs> comment that it could get in so easily. So I, I've talked to a number of executives, older executives who've said, you know, I'm not going to invest all that money. Uh, there, you know, what, what's the big deal? So what is the big deal with cybersecurity? If they get into my company, what can happen? Oh, I don't want to paint this deep, dark world of, of, of the deep, dark web for you, Don, but it's not pretty. Um, so, you know, really, they can do whatever they want. It depends on the level of the hack. And um, I can get, I mean, I'm not a, as deep a technology experts as probably many of the solution architects that I know, but uh, they can basically take over your systems, uh, shut them down. Um, control them um, and essentially take your data. But in the end, they're looking for either money or control, right? So this is where it becomes confusing if you're not a large organization. Imagine you're, you're a doctor that works in a practice of three people. Um, how do you find support for that? Where do you turn to, right? So this is where you know we really are working with medical organizations and associations and universities and you know the broad awareness of, of how to get help and in Canada, we keep saying one place, go to the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity and they will help you out. Um, do not be ashamed. Do not be worried about talking about it. They're going to help you there. And that's so, the main So thing. let's jump back to that three doctor office. Yeah. You know, in health, in, in the United States, health plans are connected to individual doctors. They're connected to, to imaging centers and the, they send data back and forth, including money, including uh, uh data. Are each one of those a point of risk into the health plan? Well, yes. Uh, and, and of course, that's what we focus on as, as health experts in, in technology, right? So each point is where you actually do, um, you know, you have your threat risk assessments. And before you go live with any implementation, these are things that are, are considered and, and dealt with before you go live. So um, but, but to give a little bit more confidence in terms of where this is all going, um, really a lot of data now is encrypted, of course. Um, so there's a lot of protections in terms of that data. So even if hackers get a hold of it, um, they can't do much with encrypted data. Um, there's often many, many different layers of security, especially when you're looking at cloud. Um, so in terms of uh, uh, different layers and points of, of risk, absolutely there, there are. Um, but they are, uh, I would say they're being managed a lot better than they have been in the past. Um, and, uh, and I think most consumers should have a lot of confidence about how their data is being handled. And if anything is mishandled, but from a policy and privacy legislation, they have to be um, told if anything ever does get hacked in Canada, at least. Yeah, and that, it seems like that's where that no shame would come in. I mean, in the United States, say I'm a 60 year old doctor and I've got uh, my wife doing my books for me. And yeah. she also likes to shop online when she's in the office and, you know, stuff goes back and forth. And I, I, uh, I'm a provider for Kaiser or Blue Cross. Yeah. I, I am an open sore for them. <laughs> Is that right? Am I, it, well, who, who can, knows? Yeah, you absolutely can be. And, and so again, it would probably um, be alerted. There's a lot of alerts that we have and notifications, and we actually monitor those if you're on a cloud-based system, um, all of the gateways, all of the networks, all of the infrastructure. Um, so you can actually see um, activity, which is unusual. You see that in your credit cards now, right? So yeah. you have unusual yeah. activity on your credit cards. That's how, how the credit card companies do it. When you go to log into your banking now, you'll notice that there's a lot more questions if you're dialing in from a different computer than you normally do. Um, so these are all types of um, what they call multi-factor authentication um, and other uh, uh, ways that they're trying to make sure you are who you are. And, um, and the same is happening in healthcare. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that, I was looking at the the Ireland one, and it sounded like it was you know from somebody clicking on a spreadsheet, and that happened in March of 2021, and the hackers did their thing until May 2021, where they just said, "We've got all your stuff. Give us a bunch of money if you want it back." Um, and that's just like a it's a very sophisticated way to do it. It's not you know necessarily a guy in your basement you know like stealing things to blackmail you or, or whatever. But you know to to Don's point, I think having so many potential entry points for something like this is kind of daunting. And, and I think your point is well taken, you know, with a, a cloud-based service, I feel like, and, and, and this is my, my layman's perspective, I feel like there, there's at least more control if you can, if you, if you're under control or, or you can control the, the web-based uh, entry points that way, it becomes less critical to have secured, um, technology on the user end, you know, like a, a health plan doesn't have to send secure laptops and, and, you know, lo, you know, login fobs to every single person that they might work with, including the three person small doctor's office in the country or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that to me just seems like a, a very important, um, a very important move to make to, to getting onto the, the web-based services. And, and this is really sort of unique to the U S I mean, most of the world has healthcare centralized. I mean, you talked about a ministry that is anathema to Americans, you know, I mean, there is no way that would happen. And so it seems like our risk, you know, the companies really need to take it on because there is no way we're going to have a, and it would be in the United States, they would call it a 1984 thing. But I, I guess that leads me to something you brought up earlier, which is it's great to say we need to do all this, do we have the workers in place to do it? Are we, are we there? Can we, can we assure ourselves we've got people that we can employ that can make this happen? I, you know, I am seeing a really good trend in that. Um, there's a lot more uh, focus, again, because of health, healthcare and technology and where it's meeting is creating a, a lot of spend. So when I look at the money that is being spent in healthcare uh, across the globe, um, that creates a focus for, of course, university feeders and folks looking for jobs. So, you know, but having said that, training is a massive uh, focus right now for companies like AWS. Um, we have a goal of training, I think, 29 people, uh, 29 million people globally by 2025. Um, so training them, what, what does that mean? Training, training them to... Training them in IT skills generally to up their knowledge in terms of um, bringing them into the market. Um, giving them new skills um, and having them being able to take on new employment and new jobs that uh, work in healthcare. Universities as well, I can see there are now degree programs um, in universities focused on health informatics or digital health or masters of public, public policy that have a digital health um, component to them. Um, as we train doctors, um, it's not great, but at least we're including a lot more in terms of the training that they need in terms of technologies. So this is really important. The talent management piece to this is really starts at a very young age um, and, and bring those young folks up through, uh, the, through, through the uh, schooling systems and then feeding them into the industry. But um, again, I'm going to take one point um, and disagree um, uh, in terms of what was said previously. It is not just on the back of the vendors. Having worked on both the private and public side in healthcare. Um, I've really learned over the course of my kind of 25 years of experience that um, even if you have a perfect vendor system, you can still have user error. You can still have different ways that that technology is implemented, e even in hospitals that are sitting side by side. Um, so uh, absolutely, it's, a, it's, it's both a, a user and a, and, and, a, uh, and a vendor responsibility, as well as a policymaker responsibility, so that we're all aware of our like, so I need to know as somebody using that vendor product that my responsibility is to be aware about cybersecurity and that I'm not gonna to click that link if I don't know where it's coming from. And most importantly, if something does happen that I need to tell somebody, yeah. don't be embarrassed. Like just report it, report it to whoever you can, whether that's your IT department, your HR department, whoever it might be. Um, in our case, it's the Center for Cybersecurity in Canada or your employer or, you know, somebody, your medical association. So you need to just ask somebody and get some help. Yeah, that, that, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and having a centralized place 
to, to have those conversations, I feel like probably takes a lot of, um, maybe not a lot, but some of the worry off the shoulders of the person who made the mistake, right? Because you have so many different personalities at play in different administrations for hospitals or health plans or whatever. If you have, you know, a, a good boss, maybe it's, a, you know, you feel better talking to them about it. If you have a tough boss, maybe you'll kind of figure it out on your own or not say anything and hope for the best. But with one centralized area where all they deal with is people saying, I made a mistake. It's almost kind of like a safety and numbers thing. And obviously you hope those numbers are small because you don't want this happening all over the place. But that, that, that's a, uh, an approach I don't think I necessarily would have thought of, of just let's, let's make a centralized thing that deals with just this. And, and that makes sense. And, you know, there, there was even in the safety paradigm 10 years ago when we were dealing with this um, to try and get people to talk about potential safety errors that they were seeing in health technology. There was a report that came out of the U.S. and it's called To Air is Human. And, you know, that was our, our pivotal report in the U.S. that we used to get people to understand that it's okay, that mistakes are going to happen and that in our, in our world, we are not perfect. And, you know, we cannot say there is no risk, we cannot say there is no threat, and we cannot say that, you know, we, we never make mistakes. So we need to build systems that have processes in place to work with humans that make mistakes, um, like me, like you, like everyone, and, um, and actually help support them through it um, and, and fix it in the end, figure out what was the root cause of the error in the first place, how do we eliminate that error in the future, um, and improve. And that's what it's all about, constant improvement and learning. And, and, and that's how we're going to do it. I just wanted to make a, a quick point too. Um, the, uh, you're talking about needing to educate people and the responsibility, not just being on a vendor's back or, or even a, a provider. You know, We need to educate everyone kind of in general about the risks and, and what to do and best practices and all of that. And I think as generations grow up more attached to computers from the beginning of life, that's probably easier, right? I know um, my ability to type and just general awareness of computers and whatever far surpasses my parents, you know, how many times do people in my generation get the call of, you know, mom, whose yeah. entire face is the camera on face. Everything is in Spanish. This? What did I do? Yeah. 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 So, so <laughs> yeah. when you're, when you're dealing with educating new people coming up into the system, that makes sense, right? You, you create a curriculum, you make sure they get trained from the beginning. So when they get in place, they're good to go. You have all of these legacy people who are less familiar with computer systems in general, who don't want their computer systems to change when they do learn it. Um, how, how are you approaching making sure they stay kind of on the cutting edge of, of technology? I know you had you had mentioned something in uh, one of our previous conversations about micro credentialing. I think um, can you talk a little bit about that and the role that that plays? Absolutely. Um, so training is uh, really important, as I've, I've mentioned. One area that um, we're looking at is actually uh, training clinicians uh, about cloud because it's a new paradigm. Um, and we want to um, ensure that they have comfort in terms of where the cloud is going. So in fact, on May 5th in Canada, we'll be working with the Canadian Association of Radiologists um, for an evening of education, um, just to talk about what is, the, what, is, what is the cloud and what role does that play for me as a radiologist? But more than that, we want to engage and, and create modules with all of our clinicians, so primary care and specialists um, and their staff that work with them in community and or an acute setting like a hospital um, so that um, folks start to understand, you know, where their data goes, how that how does that work in cloud um, and, and what is the potential? Can we improve research? I mean, this is a big area for clinicians as well, um, always relying on the latest science and the research and producing uh, even more of that. So the nice parts that we're trying to advocate for is uh, the use of open source research as well. Um, so we have cloud innovation centers, uh, one at the University of British Columbia, but we have several around the world. Um, and what we do is we encourage our clinicians and anybody in technology that's having a challenge in healthcare uh, to come forward with a project and we actually then uh, um, get our students at the center, uh, the Cloud Innovation Center to actually work on that and we produce the results open source so that they're available for the world. And one of the results of this was a massive um, supercomputer that we used uh, during COVID and applied that um, to figuring out new variants um, of COVID. And then it was open source for the rest of the world. Another example is one of our hospitals in Ontario was looking at how could they 
manage their uh, uh, their bed system. So how can they make sure they have bed capacity during COVID um, and come up with an algorithm that can determine that? And we did that open source and released it. So now all hospitals can use that. Um, those are good examples of the use of, of technologies open source. And I think that's where you're going to see some really neat stuff happening. Um, and I think as we start to uh, move towards um, our, our records becoming open source as patients, where we actually give consent to who can see those and use those, and we know who has access to them, this is where it's all going. And I think um, I'd love to talk to you about that a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it because I know as a user, and, and we talked about this before too, um, you know, we don't have great, or what, what I would consider, we do not have great um, electronic medical records. I, I, there, there's an app that, you know, we use. I know my parents use it. I use it called my chart. And um, when I was getting my COVID vaccines, I had to, you know, like get my results via my chart, which seems super convenient. I can download this app. I go to, you know, CVS is where I got it. I got my test a couple of days later, it comes up on my app. Fantastic. And then when I get my booster, I went somewhere else and I had to start a different account still under my right. chart for yeah. that other thing yeah. and neither yeah. of those connect to my doctor so yeah. it's like right. what are we what are we doing here so yeah if you guys have a better you know anything to make me more optimistic about that i'm, I'm all for <laughs> it let me hear it <laughs> so i think yeah so and don's laughing because i think don this is pretty much the ubiquitous patient experience everywhere around the world i mean what you described well, you know for somebody my age my fear is that I'm going to die and people are going to look at my screen and it's going to say, I'm sorry, that's not your password. You know, it's like, <laughs> what the heck is my password? You know, what was yeah. your first pet? You know, and I can't remember what was my first pet, <laughs> you know? uh, and but, that, but I'm glad to see you excited about that. That makes me feel good. I mean, I find the, the TV remote control daunting. So some of this stuff is really uh, you know, good to see coming. Yeah, so imagine, you know, imagine that poor, uh, that poor doctor every day. Um, when we started looking at how many um, actual passwords they need to use in a day, I did this about even six years ago, I think it was when I was working with the doctors and we actually sat down and I just said, look, let's actually go through your workflow. And I need to know how many different passwords and identities you have to give in to get into different systems to manage your patients every day. At one point, we counted over 100 for one doctor. One got, wow. So, you know, it's gotten gotten a little better since then because now, of course, the use of identity, we've gotten better in technology at actually being able to cross-reference and do federated identities and things like that. So it's getting better, but it's still a problem. Um, And so managing identities is really, really important. So you got one there, one, one issue there and it's getting better. But then your point, Jeff, on the user experience as a patient and all the different systems that you have to log in and never knowing and having to repeat your story. I mean, you gave a very simple scenario of needing to get a vaccine. Um, What about if you were like had complex uh, healthcare issues, like multiple issues, maybe maybe you had back pain, but you also have, you know, a heart issue. Plus, you also have mental health, plus, plus, plus. And you have to repeat your story every time you see a provider, every day. Maybe you have cancer on top of that and you're not feeling very well and you're tired. And, and on top of having to get treatment, you're having to repeat your story. It's, mm-hmm. it's horrible from a patient perspective. And so that is what we're all here to do. I do think it's getting better. I do think we're now, we do have much more um, better idea. We don't, there's nobody out there that feels they're creating one place, one ring to rule them all anymore. What we're doing now is we're creating what we call almost sources of information that we're going to, that are trusted sources of information, either your doctor, your hospital, your, your, um, your healthcare providers. And, and we share that information much more easily using interoperability and standards-based methods so that we can exchange on those. We also encrypt that data, as I was mentioning. So it's getting better. It's not perfect though. And, you know, I think that's where, um, where I'm excited about is if we could create that, that record that's centralized, where we can start contributing to it as a holistic healthcare team. And this is where a lot of different models are going. And we can talk about that as well, is um, many, many different jurisdictions are recognizing to try and put the patient at the center, and then have all those different care workers contributing to that record. 
And then it's up to the technologists and we're starting to work in this area, not just AWS, but many other um, players as well. You know, how do we actually make that easier and how do we make that faster and more? So do, do you have an example of that? I do. So in um, uh, in standards world, we have what we call the international patient summary, and we just developed this over the last three years. So we looked together as standards organizations around the world and we said, what is the number one problem everybody has? And it's that problem we just described, having to share that patient record, whether it's within your little community or whether it's between, you know, across an ocean. And so we created, we actually sat down with doctors worldwide. We created what we feel is that package of a patient summary information. And we actually standardized it from a, a terminology perspective and from a, a transportation perspective, how we think that should happen. And now what's happening is that's been picked up by a lot of the jurisdictions and we're starting to exchange on that basic, basic package of information. It might not have everything, but it has a lot of it. And so, you know, do we know if you have allergies that you're, you're gonna need to know if you're being treated at the hospital? Do we know your recent labs so we don't have to repeat them? Um, do we know if you have any conditions that we should be really aware of? Suppose you were in a car accident and you're being treated at a hospital. These are the things we're working towards. And again, a good example of standards uh, coming into play here. Would that be something that um, you would like to see as like a, a purview of this Ministry of Cybersecurity? Like, even though it's really healthcare, like, would you, since it is kind of a centralized, sensitive packet of information, would you, which bucket would you put it in? Uh, I would take it out of cybersecurity. Yeah. I see cybersecurity as a as a, a temporary focus, but really healthcare is the business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is at the center of healthcare, bigger than uh, a ministry. There's also vendors that are going to be involved. There's going to be um, uh, system stakeholders involved. And there's your actual hospitals and other organizations that are going to step forward. And we're going to work together, leveraging a standard like that to exchange that. And so there's all kinds of projects going on right now in Canada, US, uh, Europe, to actually almost like a connect-a-thon to uh, start exchanging on that type of uh, information and learn from it. And so I think this is going to now start to get uh, interesting as we get better at exchanging that information in a, in a private and secure way, mm -hmm. um, then you can actually start to build on that. And the yeah. patient needs to be at the center. And everybody says that, but really putting the patient at the center yeah, where they that would actually be. give consent, that would be neat. Yeah, yeah, that I agree. would be great. So I, I do want to jump in and say that uh, earlier we talked about the United States wouldn't want to centralize any of this, but there is under Homeland Security, we do have a cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, and you're probably aware of that. But I wanted to make sure our audience was aware that that there are uh, eyes looking uh, to protect the country and protect. Uh, organizations as well. It doesn't take away from uh, corporate responsibility, but it is nice to know that uh, the same people that are helping Ukraine blow up Russian tanks are, are watching out for us there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it, it, we laugh, but unfortunately now they are a named threat, you know, in the world. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is what it's come to. So awareness is really important. And and again, I think um, the, uh, again, the situation in Ukraine um, and how we actually manage that and how we manage refugees and, and treat them uh, becomes really interesting as well. So I think, um, again, a, a good use of healthcare um, example of learning from COVID and helping in Ukraine, um, absolutely important. Um, I think we were pretty fast on our response. It was shocking. Yeah, yeah. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, to that point, when we talked earlier about COVID, uh, one of the things that uh, I think was different about COVID in Ukraine is when COVID started, almost as a result of our privacy, there weren't any cameras going through ICU showing people taking their last breath. There wasn't any camera showing people huddled around somebody desperate for oxygen. It was really just sort of referenced, and it was easy not to believe it because you didn't see it. There are cameras in Ukraine showing families that have been blown away. There, there are cameras showing the impact. And I think that's the balance. And some of the credibility with technology is how do you put uh, something out that makes people believe it? You know, how do you, how do you uh, tie the technology to uh, a, a real vision? 
So Elizabeth, you, you had said early on something about, um, you know, with the, the increase in using telehealth and stuff and, and talking with all these other doctors and, and the ease of that, you, you maintain this relationship with your doctor. And I'm thinking just as somebody in, you know, in America who, uh, it, you know, lives in this system, I, I don't even have a doctor. So, you know, my, my first reaction was what relationship, you know, I, I lived in Connecticut my whole life. Um, I, I think in my thirties, I'm 37 now in my thirties, I went to my doctor three times, maybe. Um, and then I moved to North Carolina a year ago and I don't have a doctor. I've been here for a year and I don't have a doctor. So just culturally, it's so, it's so different. And that was something that stuck out to me right, right off the bat. We have health plans, not doctors. So, you know, I, that's a great point, Jeff. And you know what? I was probably speaking to the Canadian experience of being attached to a primary care provider, which a lot of folks are in Canada because we have a public health care system. So entirely valid point. And you know what? What it actually points to is another trend, which is, you know, more and more, I think, the consumerization and consumerism in healthcare. So, you know, a lot of a lot of people aren't attached to a doctor and you're right. They get their care in so many different places now um, and it's going to increase. I mean, the Walmarts of the world, um, you know, your 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 local pharmacy is giving out vaccinations. Um, you know, we are getting vaccinations in cars, as we mentioned. Um, so the providers that are actually providing that health care are changing. And with big players moving into healthcare, I think it's a really valid point. How do we ensure that you have that best experience? Maybe, maybe, and like me, I don't really need to have a relationship with my doctor. I just want really good health care. But, so, but doesn't that go back to some of the things you were talking about earlier, where pulling all those pieces together? So even though they're disparate points that you've got in your care, there is one point where all of that comes together. And I don't need to go into a brand new doctor who says, oh, uh, let's take let's take a blood sample and do all this when I've had that done a month ago someplace else. Exactly. So as long as you like, I think as long as your system is driving towards efficiency and the best care possible, a quadruple aim in, in healthcare, um, you know that model just needs to evolve. And we can't keep assuming that the old ways are going to be the way healthcare is delivered in the future. And moreover, as a consumer. You know, I think we have to keep making sure we're trying to innovate. We have to keep pushing the limits on questioning our, our, our providers and questioning our vendors on, can we do this better? Um, I don't want to waste four hours to go get a duplicate test that I know I've done. Um, we've all been in that situation. Or, you know, I also don't want to have to repeat my story as a patient over and over again. So great point, Jeff. I totally hear you. And I think you've actually hit on a huge change in the way healthcare is being delivered, um, but also a great need in terms of access. Lots of segments of the population that because of mobility, I mean, look, look at a, a refugee situation or um, even our situation in Canada where you have um, a lot of access in the North issues where they, they can't get access to care even just because of geography. These are big, big issues. How can technology solve that? Um, we're actually starting to use drones in terms of delivery for, um, for certain things. So this is going to start to become interesting. Maybe we're going to have the, uh, the Amazon delivery um, to your door in terms of your health care. Um, <laughs> I'm not representing AWS here, remember, I'm, I'm just stating ideas. Um, but where I'm, where I'm going is just on the convenience factor and the innovation factor. Well, and I, I think, you know, your point was, it was so critical. Um, you want quality health care. Um, and, and that, again, as, as the, the consumer perspective, um, I don't have a relationship with my, with my doctor. I trust that they receive, well, I, I can't say my doctor. I don't have a doctor. Uh, when, when I had a doctor, I did not have a relationship with him um, other than seeing him every couple of years for seven minutes. And he wasn't you know, making a lot of money off you, right? Well, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm sure he was just not, not for value that I received from it, you know, but you know, the, the, I have faith that the, the medical education system trains good doctors, right? So like me having a relationship with him or not, I believe he was a good doctor. Um, if I have the ability to access care that's quality from anyone, I think that would be fine for me. So if, if, if I believed that my medical records were reliably uh, kept in one spot, so whoever 
who was well-trained and capable of doing their job well could access the same correct information from all these things. I'm cool with that. If I yeah. don't have that, then I'd rather have a relationship with my doctor. So at least one person knows what's going on with me. But for me, I don't have either of those things. So really I'm just left with, um, with, with what, you know? So I, like to me, you can solve the problem multiple ways. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do it with technology and integration and, and that sort of thing. Uh, if it's not going to be the human element of a personal connection with a family doctor who's lived in the same town that I'm going to live in the rest of my life, who knows my family history because he delivered my mom, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's not a story that you get anymore. Um, and I, I'm fine with that. So you know, it's uh, yeah. all, all aboard the technology train. Yeah. And some, some countries like Brazil have already started to look at, look at that um, through the use of what they call blockchain um, and blockchain technologies where they put that, that patient record uh, open to the patient and the patient can actually uh, allow folks in. So, you mm -hmm. know, this is where uh, absolutely it is going and you, you were hitting it right on the nail with putting the patient at the center for getting the, the quality care where they want it from the providers that, that they need, but not having to repeat their story over and over again. Mm -hmm. Also, there's gonna be certain areas of your record that you wanna hold protected. So for example, your mental health, you don't want your health, health insurance provider to know about that, or you don't want your employer to know about that. So there's gonna be interesting parts of how we have to navigate this um, and be sensitive and, and build it. And that's why healthcare is so much more complex than simply sometimes other industries like uh, finance or uh, telecom is that the data that you're holding is so sensitive. And those of us that work in healthcare uh, technology uh, are really aware of that and really um, consider those uh, use cases as we start to move forward in technologies, which is why it takes so, so long to be frank. Um, and uh, so, but, but there's a balance there. And I think most- And why COVID was able to jumpstart so much, bang. Yeah, we yeah. had to, you know, we had to turn the switch. Yeah, and the other thing that um, we didn't talk about, which again, I think is another area of uh, excitement is, um, is all of the massive amounts of data that were produced during COVID. So your genomics uh, areas, all of your genetic code that was produced over the last two years, all of your immunization data, all of your vaccination status data, um, all of that was shared with governments around the world. So the data sets that we now have worldwide, um, I think another positive area is with the use of supercomputers and analytics applied to those and clearly responsibly um, uh, for research uh, is gonna be incredible in terms of what that is gonna yield. So again, this is what's actually happening and we're actually working at combining those data sets to actually produce better for example, better cancer treatments that are personalized. So, yep. you know, you can look at your genetic, your genomic code and figure out which cancer treatment would be better for you, um, giving you a higher uh, rate of success. So these are all incredible advancements in healthcare and digital health that have been made over, frankly, the last few years to yep. close this. So uh, we've taken a lot of your time, but I, I have to ask you, what else would you like to talk about with this? Oh my goodness. Um, I'd like to mention one last thing, which is, I think, truly exciting. When I start to see uh, the innovation that's going on, um, not only from a technology point of view, but I think from a diversity point of view, um, it's really, really interesting. So uh, I think it's important to highlight uh, diversity is going to be a huge part of, of designing the best systems we've ever designed. And as I'm starting to see um, more awareness of the importance of inclusion, uh, not only, of course, uh, of women, which uh, clearly I'm happy to be here, but um, of the generations to come uh, in race and gender and sexuality in so many different areas. Uh, it's becoming really, really interesting. And some big questions too. I mean, even one new standard that we're working on is, is even uh, definitions of gender um, and sexuality, because of course, up until uh, up until now, uh, you had two choices, male, female, and we all know that those don't necessarily cover the gamut anymore. So, you know, how are we going to start to include those types of definitions for better care for uh, for for all types uh, of people around the world? And so, these are the types of examples that I think are really interesting. Um, you know, there's all kinds of new innovations, as I said, that are coming into uh, analytics, which uh, tied with your social media theme, 
uh, is going to become uh, increasingly important to bear uh, in terms of how we provide care. So even looking at your geographic regions around hospitals and being able to do in-depth analysis using weather, you could actually see uh, and predict how many asthma um, patients you're going to have at that local hospital that day. Um, these are amazing things that are going to help us. Um, and moreover, I can tell you we're becoming more, more responsible, uh, both from a vendor perspective, but also from a system perspective, in terms of making sure those patients don't continue to readmit into hospitals. So how do we make sure that, you know, they go, if they have to go, first of all, that's a big question. Maybe we can care for them in their homes. Maybe we can care for them virtually. And if that's the case, then great, because that's certainly more, you know, it's more affordable, it's more convenient. Um, less travel time, less oh, time away from work, less time away from getting a babysitter if you need to do that. So all of those things are huge areas of opportunity. Caring for our elderly um, is going to become a major theme. Um, so around the world, we have an aging population. Uh, we know this is going to be uh, the case. We have a huge, um, huge problem kind of coming our way in that way. We, we will have less taxpayers, more aging population. Uh, so we are going to have to get better at caring for people in their homes um, and monitoring them at home. So again, this is another huge area of opportunity. We're doing a ton of work in uh, a lot of home monitoring and, and providing that care at home for the elderly, which reduces their isolation as well. Technologies that talk to them um, and check on them every day, whether they've gone for their walks or whether they've taken a fall. Um, these are all things that are really, really important to keep those um, uh, elderly populations, not only healthy, but less isolated um, and, and less costly. I mean, this is the cost curve. So um, these are huge trends that I also want to make sure uh, that we have on our uh, horizon. Exciting trends too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mental health is another one. Um, so we mm -hmm. didn't have a chance much. Don, you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit but mental health is probably gonna be one of the top focuses for many, many governments around the world. Again, I think we can all say we're feeling a little meh after uh, <laughs> two years of isolation. Um, and, and that's the good case scenario. You know, yeah, you have a yeah. lot of mental health. Um, we know that we could support those areas a lot better. We know the cost that that has on the workplace. Um, so I think mental health, treating that as part of our holistic health, again, less uh, shame and blame according and, and more yeah. talking um, yeah. that's happening too. So I see all of this as very, very hopeful in terms of where we're going. Um, and uh, I really am thankful to be working in this type of environment where um, I can help find solutions along with you guys. It's certainly very, very important. And it's, uh, it's, it's changing every day, I think. And really uh, the, the innovation is, is astounding. Um, so that thing is going to be a lot, a lot of work for, for, for you guys. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we can play a role, at, you know, as, as a public and um, just kind of, kind of figure it out because yeah, I, I, I would hesitate to ever describe the last two years as uh, um, like a, necessary evil because I, I I wouldn't want to characterize it like that but I think it has forced a lot of innovation and it's really shined a light on some areas where we've been lacking um, just as as people really whether it's uh, it's the way we talk to each other or access to healthcare or innovation of technology or realizing that a lot of people struggle with mental health and for a long time we weren't supposed to talk about it but now, now we can. Um, I don't think anybody who was really impacted by COVID negatively would, uh, would make that trade. But I think knowing that it's happened, the best we can do is, is get the best out of the situation that we're in. Um, and it sounds like this is kind of pointing us in the right direction on a lot of those fronts. Yeah. And making those tools available for you in your home where you're more comfortable um, and you can access that when you need it. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have to wait for a week um, before you can talk to somebody is really, really important. Um, and also, we don't have a lot of providers that are specialized in those areas. So we're getting better at scalable models of care. And um, that's really exciting from a provider perspective as well. So, you know, it's now becoming part of their toolkit um, to have virtual care and to and that expands their ability to reach their patients. So that makes the doctors happier. It's easier for the patients. 
Um, and, and actually then we can use those psychiatrists and others that are focused in mental health a little bit better. Um, and this is, this is a whole other conversation of how we're, how we're gonna kind of move in terms of pay for performance, but recognizing that talent in healthcare and, and using it a little bit more efficiently and, and supporting them better with better tools, better decision-making, um, and then getting that patient more involved and getting them access to care a lot faster. Um, that's another thing uh, I'm involved with as well is just we have um, what we call an AWS equity fund and we help, uh, help uh, companies actually get off the ground that are, are launching new apps in, in all kinds of areas to increase that equity because we recognize that so many subpopulations have little access to healthcare. And this is where, you know, everybody needs to help. Um, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. So I just, I, I like the stories of hope, as you can tell, um, because uh, that's what we need to be focused on in healthcare. Well, and you've touched on some of the topics that we've got coming up in future podcasts. Mental health is enormous. And we're going to be talking about that, talking about what's going on around the world. Aging is something that uh, the entire world is seeing uh, issues with. And uh, so we'll be exploring that as well. Excellent. Well, I know your audience is going to be really um, interested in those podcasts. Um, I appreciate you launching this series because I think it keeps us um, involved and engaged. Um, so thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, thank you from Canada. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for, for being here with us. Um, it was a great conversation and, um, you know, maybe we can, we can do it again. So appreciate yeah. it. We'd love to have you back again. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, happy to do it. Thanks again. Bye -bye. All Bye. right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.